County. Hear the word of the Lord. I, John, your brother, who share with you in Jesus the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, saying, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as white wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining with full force. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. I was dead, and see, I am alive forever and ever. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Now write what you have seen, what is and what is to take place after this. And as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, in the first 80 years of its life, the thing that we now know as the church had changed A lot. A lot. What had started as a small group of people that were gathered together in a dark room had become a larger and empowered group that was taking risks led by the Holy Spirit. And those of you who have studied Acts know a little bit about some of those things that had happened. And they were moving into all sorts of new territory, literally and figuratively. First of all, their population was changing fast. Their demographic was changing. They were no longer predominantly Jewish as they were when they began. And in fact, it was starting to become just the opposite. Their center was no longer in Jerusalem. With the fall of the the temple and the increasing unrest in Jerusalem, the city itself became unsafe. And while this might just seem like a handful of struggles to us, what it meant for this early group of people is that their very identity was changing. 
Their values were changing. And all these things were changing so fast that it was hard for them to keep up with any of it. The communities that were growing were the communities on the outskirts, on the margins. And the communities where it all started, the communities that were first the hub, these were the ones that were waning, that were quiet, and that were almost underground. When we're in the center of such change, we can feel it, but it's hard to actually get a pulse on what it means. For those who have read The Handmaid's Tale, which I'm in the process of reading right now, if you've read Margaret Atwood's new introduction, she talks about life in Eastern Europe during the Soviet regime. And she said that it was hard to believe that things like that can happen to you until it does. And you start to see that change happens very slowly and soon you take stock and the face of life has changed altogether. So John sees change coming in the first century. John, the writer of Revelation. Not only because he sees the coming rise of the Romans, but he sees that change is going to happen in the church. The little community that was once the little community in and around Jerusalem is going to become these little communities in and around the Roman Empire. And they will no longer be tethered to that one space. And these little communities that are in and around the Roman Empire are all going to face very unique changes and challenges that will be all of their own. The context in which they engage their faith will be different depending on the cities that they live in and the ways that they have to encounter their culture in their particular context. The latest edition of The New Yorker on July 5th had an article about the rising sea levels in Miami. By, 2020, by 2045, one of the predictions that is out there at the moment is that it is possible that one-fifth of the city will be underwater at high tide. The thrust of the article dealt not just with the challenges, but with the solutions that are coming to happen around that. From changes in real estate law that are happening in southern Florida to changes in landscaping to help to mitigate the rising sea. Every decision, the article noted, becomes an opportunity to improve environmental quality and to help social equity. Now, if you were to back up and tell a real estate developer in the 1950s that in 100 years, one-fifth of the city could be underwater during high tide, it's possible that they would not have believed you. It's possible that they might have even laughed in your face. But times change. Values change. Life changes. And the situation that you end up in is not always the situation that you imagined. And you must adapt. You must change. You must forge forward in ways that feel uncomfortable and even wrong, in some ways even unbelievable, because it is hard to accept that times have changed so much. And yet they have. The church in Jerusalem did not know 
how to prepare and launch a project that would no longer be tethered to itself. It did not know how to do that. But this is what was going to happen. It was going to take on a project that was going to unfold along the outer reaches of the Roman Empire with no central hub, with no central way of making sense of who it is as these different identities emerged. They didn't think that this was going to happen, and yet it did. Jerusalem had fallen. The future was going to be elsewhere. But the real question that they were asking at that time was what future? In the dramatization that we heard read this morning, it gives just a taste of what it could have been like for those early followers to see the destruction of the temple. You see, they still connected themselves with the worship that happened within that space. There was no disconnection from Jesus and the temple. They saw him as the one who was coming to reign within that space. And that is not what happened. That is not what happened. What happened is that the Romans broke through the walls and set the temple on fire and everyone had to flee the city. That's what happened. And so the future that the early disciples imagined together, that was not the future that shaped up. In fact, the future that shaped up was vastly different than anything that anybody could have imagined at the time. And so what can be said to a community of the gospel in the midst of such a radically turbulent future? What could be said to a community of faith facing a future that looked more like the extinction of the old than the emergence of the new? What could be said in a time like this? You see, friends, the way that I read Revelation is that it's less about what is going to happen in the future And that it is more about how to support the community that is going to get us there. John names the persecution. He does not shy away from it. I am with you in it, he says. And this whole theme of persecution is going to come up over and over and over again throughout the book of Revelation because it's a major theme. Because the reality is that these communities were trying to figure out who we are when everything that we know has somehow slipped away, burned to the ground, come under Roman control, and we're not quite sure how to reemerge from the ashes. Who are we in the midst of this face of persecution? And John says, I am with you in this persecution. Inasmuch as we share in Christ together, so also we share in this persecution together. And then John hears this message that we will be thinking about over the next few weeks. He's going to hear a message that is directed specifically to the church. The message, as it emerges in Revelation, is not directed to the Romans. It's not directed to the culture. It's directed to the church, to these emerging communities, 
to these places where people are trying to figure out who they are, to these places that have become disconnected from the center of Jerusalem. That's where this message is headed. And it's written to the church not so that they have a way of stepping outside of their culture, but so that they have a way of entering into it with hope and knowing who they are and who they belong to. Write this down, the voice says to John, the voice of Jesus. Write it down for the church. And then John looks, and the voice is coming. But the voice is not coming out of nowhere. Do you pick up on some of the imagery of where that voice is coming from? Think about it for a second. That voice is coming from the very traditions of the temple that were just burned down. The lampstands, the Son of Man, the vision from Daniel. Daniel, that's that whole idea, the Son of Man. It's picking up on Daniel 7, which would have been one of the scrolls that was stewarded within the temple. The stars, the sword, all of those things were temple imagery stewarded by the temple of what it meant for God to communicate with this particular nation. So what's happening in Jerusalem, this isn't crazy. What's happening in Revelation, this isn't crazy language. This is Hebrew language. This is the language of the temple, and John knows it. He knows what it was like to be in that space. He knows those prophetic scrolls. He knows that the community has been reading these Old Testament books, and he picks up on that language in order to communicate. Or one might not say he picks up on it. He sees in this image of Jesus all of those temple pictures captured within this person of Jesus Christ. So here in this image, what John is seeing is that the God of the temple that burned down in Jerusalem is not dead, but is actually alive and speaking to this group of followers, personifying all of those images that they would have known so well in that first century temple. And so the image that that John is seeing is that the God of the temple that was just destroyed by the Romans, this is the God that is now looking at John face to face and saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I am the first one. I am the last one. I am the living one forever and ever. I have the keys to death and Hades. The Romans do not have those keys. I do. You see, they can burn the temple, but they can't burn me. They can burn Jerusalem, but they can't burn me. That's the image of this Revelation chapter 1. And the message here is for the church, for the church that is emerging, not in Jerusalem, but on the margins, on the outskirts. 
And as this image of Jesus, he holds out his right hand with those seven lampstands, he says, this is the message for the church, the seven lampstands, the church universal, that seven being that perfect number in scripture, this universal in numbers of, in, universal number in scripture, but it's also a particular number in this particular time dealing with these seven churches that exist along the Ephesian road and they're real places. They're really along this road of Ephesus that would have traveled up into the inner part of Turkey. And it would have been a a road that was actually paved by the Roman army. It was a trade road. And that's the place where these early communities took root and came to life. These seven churches. And so the voice that Jesus offers John is this is the message for the church. I'm here. Your future is going to be challenging. You will have to adapt or become extinct. But do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because I am the first and the last, the living one. And so that's really the message. It's ironic that the book of Revelation tends to be one of the books of the Bible that strikes in us the most fear, the most trembling, because the book starts off with this radical message of do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of the future. Do not be afraid of change. The reality of change is not the scary one. The real question, the real question that Revelation is going to beg us to answer is who will you follow? Who will be the Lord of your future? Will it be Rome? Or will it be Jesus? Will it be culture? Or will it be Jesus? Will it be your impulses? Or will it be Jesus? You see, that's the question of Revelation. Whose voice will you listen to? The voice of culture or the voice that says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And so in the midst of all of this fearful time, in the midst of all of this change, this reality of what is going to be unfolding within the church, they're going to be different than they were when they started. There is no question The New Testament is going to be written in Greek. It is not going to be written in Hebrew. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. The center of the church is going to become outside of Jerusalem. It's going to start to be Rome and then different places around Alexandria, which is, or sorry, that's south into Egypt, and then up into the area which, uh, where Constantinople is now. That's going to be different. It's going to be really, really different. That is not what they expected when they watched Jesus die on that cross and when they gathered together in the upper room. That is a radical change. And so the question of Revelation is how will you prepare for that change and what will you listen to? Who will you listen to? Don't be afraid, John says, to step boldly into the leadership of the Son of Man You see, he's the one who's got all of these pieces in him to begin with. The beginning, the end. 
Now, sometimes we hear things like this, this do not be afraid language, and we interpret it a little bit differently. We tend to think that it means something like, don't worry, everything is going to be fine. Don't worry, it's all fine, it's fine. You don't need to change, everything's fine. That's not what the message is. The message is change is coming, whether you like it or not. The reality, the question is who will you follow and will you be afraid? A lot of change will happen. Much will be encouraged and even required as this little community moves forward. And it is not that everything is fine. Instead, it is that I am the first and the last and the living one. I hold the keys to death in Hades. No one else. If that's not our hope, it's going to be really hard to change. But friends, the gift of Revelation is that it recenters us in that this is our hope. And so we've got to go. Change is coming. There is no sense in hiding from it. We need the courage to face it, to accept it, and to move into it without fear. Knowing that the God of the temple, the same God that we heard in that book of 1 Samuel talk about the reign of David, and as you know, as that reign begins to take shape, the temple is going to be built in the legacy of his son, and that temple is then going to be brought forward, and it's going to have its own set of challenges as the Jews go through their their time of exile, and then they're going to arrive in that first century and watch it be burned down by the Romans. But the message of Revelation is that the God of that temple, of that amount of time, of that trajectory, the living lamb, has gone before us in all things. Even for this thing, for this time now. I think no matter where we are on the political spectrum, we can all agree that there is going to be some change coming. What that looks like, we have yet to see. But friends, we need to not be afraid. We need to know whose voice we're going to listen to. Who is the Lord that has gone through death for us and before us? He's the one that we will follow. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, as we face the challenges of our time, We ask that you would go before us and that we would have the courage to follow, not to be afraid, to adapt, to change, not to put our head in the sand, but to look forward, maybe trembling even, and to say, we'll go, we'll change, we'll figure out what it takes. Show us the way in your name. Amen.